I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I want to focus on our two gospel stories as well as the story that follows them this morning. These are three stories about being lost and being found. William Barclay, the great theologian, suggests that these three stories are the gospel in the gospels, containing the very distilled essence of the good news that Jesus was called to give us. And in our text stories, there is a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then in the next story, a lost person, the story of the prodigal son. However, the subject matter is not about a sheep, a coin, or a person that is lost. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and scribes who are judging him for eating and partying with the wrong people judging him for not honoring their religious scruples. The Pharisees gave a demeaning label to people who did not follow the law absolutely. They called them people of the land, basically saying they were dirt. They said that to marry a daughter to one of them was like exposing her tied and bound to a lion. They said when a man is one of the people of the land, Entrust no one to him. Take no testimony from him. Trust him with no secret. Do not appoint him guardian of an orphan. Do not make him the custodian of charitable funds. Do not accompany him on a journey. A Pharisee was forbidden to be the guest of any such person or to have them as a guest. He was to avoid having any business dealings with him or buying anything from him. It was their aim to avoid contact with people of the land, the dirt. So if that was their reality, no wonder they were shocked when these people of the land were the people that Jesus spent much of his time with. Their attitude was that there was great joy in heaven over one sinner who was condemned, obliterated. It wasn't great joy in heaven over one sinner who repented. They would have made great crusaders. They looked sadistically forward, not to the salvation of the sinner, but to the destruction of the sinner. This was absolute hellfire and brimstone. They would identify with the phrase used in our culture, may they rot in hell. So the focus Jesus brings to the first story isn't on a bad sheep that carelessly got lost. The sheep was likely doing what sheep do, walking around eating grass. And the grass was so good that it didn't notice that the other sheep had moved on. The story is actually about the shepherd. The second story isn't a lesson about being careful to not lose things valuable to you, but about the determination and celebration of the woman in finding something that was lost and the invitation to her friends to celebrate with her. She, too, is an image of the divine. And the third story, the prodigal son, isn't about a wayward son living the high life 
It's about a father who never lets go of being a father. Never. Realizing that in this case, he has to let his son find his own way. While in his reverie, the son has no awareness of being lost. The father knows that the son is not ready to be found yet. Because the son doesn't know that he is lost. Like the Pharisees. And the Father, too, is an image of the divine. And all three stories are telling the scribes and Pharisees what God is like. And Jesus invited them to discern the difference between their lives and this God, as perhaps these passages do for us this morning. And I'm guessing the scribes and the Pharisees actually thought that something rang true in these stories. They had to admire a shepherd who would be so caring that he'd look for that one sheep that got lost somehow. However, their prideful self-righteousness would not let them entertain that these stories were about them, that they were the lost. And in their judgmental and legalistic lostness, anyone different than them was branded as a tax collector or a sinner, a person of the land. For Jesus, they too were the sheep without a shepherd. But in their self-righteousness, they refused to entertain the possibility that they might even need a shepherd. We will shepherd ourselves because we're right. Always a temptation for us making it more important to be right than to be understood or to understand. And they certainly weren't the lost coin. In this Eastern culture, as some of you know, the sign of a woman being married was a headdress that displayed ten coins. And so to lose one of these coins would be like losing an engagement or a wedding ring. And the Pharisees certainly didn't identify with the lost coin. They likely blamed it on the carelessness of the woman. It wasn't their fault. They would never be so careless as to lose a coin. In fact, they might show up near the party the woman is throwing as moral police, pridefully proclaiming that they weren't lost, creating feelings in others of inadequacy, self-doubt, and insecurity for the rest of the partygoers likely standing around, detached, looking cool, judging everyone for making such a big deal about one little coin that was lost. Pay attention to us. We'd never get lost. And they lived in the certitude of the laws and were proud of that and judgmental of those tax collectors and sinners, those dirty people of the land. And in their minds, they certainly weren't the prodigal. But Jesus makes it clear that they weren't the father either. They would have judged both the prodigal and the father for their choices. The prodigal was like those other tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus, living and eating with the wrong people, was just like them. The father was crazy lenient, weak, giving a young son his future inheritance to waste on high living. Except that in this story, this left them only the role of the older brother, 
who did everything right in terms of his role and yet was very judgmental to anyone who wasn't like him, an image of the scrupulosity and pride of the scribes and Pharisees. If you aren't like us, then you must be a tax collector and a sinner. Ironically, when the scribes and Pharisees didn't have tax collectors, sinners, and self-proclaimed prophets like Jesus to judge, (laughs) they fought and judged one another. They always needed a scapegoat, someone to blame. Yeah, that never happens in our diverse denominational or political culture. But that's another sermon. I think there is a certain prophetic sarcasm here on the part of Jesus. Have you ever been told to get lost? (laughs) I heard some groans. Have you ever told someone to get lost? For Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes were the ones that think they've found the answers through their own moral certitude. If you're always certain about where you are, you will never recognize the gift of being lost. They are so certain they found God that they never allowed God to find them. I think Jesus is telling them to get lost. Quit using your self-righteousness to make other people feel inadequate and inferior. Quit trying to force people into your forms of belief and worship. Lose that self-righteousness. Join the ranks of humanity. Join the people of the land and build a sense of community. A place where whenever people feel lost, we are there to invite and support them back to the community of the found. And this is something to be celebrated. That's what worship is, a community of the found. And at one level, this is a beautiful image of a parent and child playing hide-and-seek. Over and over, getting lost and then celebrating being found. This great game, a practice really, is among the earliest memories of my childhood. Playing peekaboo and playing hide-and-seek. I would hide and my mother would find me. And if it took too long, I would make a noise because I wanted to be found. It was always followed by a celebration of laughter, hugs, delight, and the words, there you are. In some ways, isn't the life of faith always about this experience of finding yourself feeling lost and then surprisingly finding yourself again? And I want to suggest that playing hide-and-seek with God is a wonderful spiritual practice that that will always keep your relationship with God alive, full, embodied, and real. It will also build your trust and faith for those times when you really do feel lost, especially if you hold this practice lightly, if you hide with God rather than from God, because God always knows where you are. We can feel lost in many ways. The dictionary has at least nine different descriptions of the word lost. (laughs) I've experienced all of these. Perhaps you have too. These are the markers, the noises of where we want to be found, not the aspects of where we want to be judged, 
These are the invitations for us to support the finding of others when we hear and see these noises of what it means to be lost. Definition number one, not made use of, won or claimed, like a lost opportunity. Lost, no longer possessed, like a lost reputation. Ruined or destroyed physically or morally, desperate, a lost soul. Taken away or beyond reach of attainment, denied. Those regions where we feel like we've lost our faith, or where we're insensible or hardened, where we're lost to shame. Number five, unable to find our way. We no longer feel visible. We're lost in the crowd, lacking assurance of self-confidence and feeling helpless. Number six, wrapped and absorbed, preoccupied, self-absorbed. Poor me, or look how great I am. Not appreciated or understood, wasted. Don't you hate it when you feel misunderstood? Obscured or overlooked during a process or activity. Those places where you just feel like a wallflower, you just aren't connecting. And the last one, hopelessly unattainable, futile. You give up, you feel like a lost cause. These are some of the places where we often feel lost. If we are lost, rather than pretend we're not lost or pridefully refuse to see that we are lost, perhaps we need to make a noise to help us be found. Perhaps that's what prayer is, making a noise, an invitation to be found. Perhaps that is what true worship also is and what the Eucharist is really about. Places where we make noise that we often feel lost and want to be found. And when we no longer try to hide from God, then God becomes our hiding place. Ironically, a place where we have nothing to hide and yet are loved. Our faith suggests to us that something can never actually be lost in our belovedness. Sadly, our experience doesn't always match that or feel like that. And we long for a faith that the Beloved is not only looking for us, but will find us. We will come back to that which is beautiful in us, the part of us created in the divine image, an image that is good, true, and beautiful. And when found, the Beloved always says, there you are. I was sent a video this week that beautifully illustrates this, or at least did for me. It's a video of a prima ballerina named Marta C. Gonzalez, who in her old age appears totally lost to severe Alzheimer's. She's confined to a wheelchair and looking totally detached from reality. A caregiver places some headphones on her ears and begins to play Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. And suddenly something in her is found. And she begins to dance in her wheelchair. And then suddenly she looks distraught. 
and detaches as she realizes her limitations. She gives up. The caretaker takes her hand and kisses it, and she smiles at him in recognition and starts to dance again. As the video bounces back between her as a person with Alzheimer's and her as a young person, a prima ballerina. And for a moment she is found. Someone didn't give up on her, so she didn't give up on herself. And she reconnected with something that was beautiful inside, even if just for a moment because something in her, in all of us, longs to be found. I invite you to look it up. Just type in YouTube ballerina with Alzheimer's, and it'll pop up on YouTube. When we feel lost and make a sound, the divine will find us with delight. When the divine seems hidden and we genuinely seek, the divine will make a noise and find us with delight. Ultimately, there is no place where we are not found. So this week, as we interact within a lost world, let's uphold these words from Psalm 139. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. And then I said to myself, oh, even he even sees me in the dark. At night I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't darkness to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same thing to you. This is a call to not be ashamed, judgmental, or avoidant of those who are different than us, or to not be ashamed, self-judgmental, or avoidant of the truth of what is going on in our hearts. This is a call to make noise when we are lost, trusting that the Beloved will find us. This is an invitation to listen and notice when others make a noise and help them to be found. This is what it means to seek and to save the lost. Anything else is trite by comparison. For God is not ashamed to be seen with any of us. And I close with these words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak and the broken. Amen.